Hello and welcome to episode 66 of the Destroy the Brain podcast. I'm Andy Treffenbach. Patrick Cordcamp. I'm Niles Maddox. And today we will be talking about the Roland Doe case, which is the basis, essentially, for The Exorcist. Probably a movie you watched this month, or you're getting ready to watch. You should watch this month. Yeah, you definitely should watch this month. Um, this is going to conclude our kind of two-part series of like Spirits in St. Louis, or whatever you want to call it. I don't know. Scary St. Louis? Urban Legends of St. Louis? Yeah, something. I don't know. We'll think of something. St. Louis haunts. <laughs> <laughs> the gateway to the haunts. Yeah. Oh, I like that. The gateway to hell. Uh, anyway, so before we get started, uh, follow us on Destroy... Or, uh, before we get started, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Destroy the Brain, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Destroy the Brain, and our Facebook group for the podcast at Facebook.com slash groups slash DTB podcast. All right, Patrick, you got some spooky stuff for us. I do. I did a lot of research on this one. I've been very excited about this one. Uh, the Exorcist is my favorite horror film it's my favorite film besides you know what star wars <laughs> <laughs> oh i didn't know uh, oh you what? had no star idea wars? uh <laughs> but yeah it's it's been my favorite horror film since at least i think it was i was 18 years old when i saw it uh but what i wanted to do was kind of start off with where were you when you first saw the movie <laughs> before we get into the real case what what were your thoughts? How old were you when you first saw the movie? I mean, for me, it was, you know, it wasn't a movie my parents would obviously let me see. I mean, they were cool with, like, I saw Rosemary's Baby at an early age, but, like, they just thought it was a little too aggressive. I think I snuck and watched it on a TV screening of it, um, parts of it. But to be honest, I think the first real time was when they re-released it when I was in high school, and they added the, uh, the, un the uncut version. Yeah. yeah. So that was the first time I had like actually sat down and watched the entire thing. And yeah, I was terrified the entire time I was in the theater. So because not only did I get to see these extra scenes, which, to be honest, the scene going on the stairs, like that, I mean, it's not as effective as some things, but it scared the shit out of me in the oh, theater. Man. So, yeah. um, <clears throat> yeah, that was my. I would say that was my first real time sitting and watching it was when I was in high school. So. Yeah, and it, it was one of the scariest movies. It was definitely the scariest movie I'd seen at the time. Andy? Yeah, I mean, I saw it on VHS in my room for the very first time. Um, you know, old VHS tape. It was before... The only reason why I know it was before 2000 was because it was before... It was like a few years before the version you've never seen came out. Yeah. Which I did end up... Because my mom... That was like one of her favorite movies, too. And... I remember going to the theater to like give it another chance. I'm not the hugest fan of The Exorcist, which is weird because I think, you know, I just recently rewatched it with you. Right. We watched the theatrical version. I actually want to go back and rewatch the extended version. That's the cut I prefer. Actually. I do too. I mean, I'll just. Because I do miss the conversations with the priests yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think later on, like watching both versions again, Exorcist. I've, I've seen both of them multiple times now. And watching the extended, because I just rewatched the extended cut, and yeah, the dialogue is so much, it's so important to the story, technically, yeah. the way I want to see The Exorcist, I guess. And I also think it's a it's a better bridge to Exorcist 3 as yes, well. Yes, and that's, that's the sure. thing. Yeah, is, especially the ending. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I did see the version you've never seen before when it first got released in 2000. Ooh, that reminds me. I, I got a present for you. What? Um, okay. I think. I think. <laughs> but... Yeah, I, I remember seeing it in the theater. What was weird about the theater is that a lot of people laughed in, you know, was it like certain that, spots. That like pretty much, laughter or? Uh, mixture, I would think. 
like some people laughed at the spider walk thing just because it's so quick and it is in my opinion I don't think that should be in the movie but there's a lot of extra scenes that I think work great in that movie but uh, it is a very important film and um, it scares the shit out of a lot of people so there's some potency I first watched it so I, I grew up in a very Catholic family. So my my dad, he had told me about the movie. My mom had told me about the movie, and even though she's not really religious anymore, but she was telling me about how scary it was and that I should stay away from it. My dad would say the same thing. And I my first introduction to the movie was actually, I, I want to say it was around the time that the version you never seen came out, and there was a, I want to say it was like Entertainment Weekly, and it was like, Reagan was on the cover because it was like the scariest films ever made. And it was like one of those top 50 lists or something like that. And I remember I was with my mom and my uncle at the grocery store and they just like shrieked and they were like, don't look. And they were like trying to hide it from me. And I was like, what is this movie? I need to see it. Like, cause when you tell somebody not to do something, they want to do it even more. So at that point, I really wanted to watch it. I mean, it. that's, you know, and that's like, technically, that's like my reasoning for being ups- into horror was the fact that it was not allowed. It yeah. Was, yeah, exactly. But like you, you know, I had a Lutheran upbringing and like, yeah, the supernatural, especially spiritual, like dealing with like religious thoughts and yeah. theologies and just, you know, I don't. That shit, I can't fuck with it. It's too scary to me. Yeah, I mean, the the funny thing is, like, so my, my dad was the big one. He was the one who was like, don't watch this movie. But he would buy it, and then he'd sell it. Mm. And then he'd buy it again. Oh. And then he'd sell it again. Hmm. And then he'd buy it again. And I was like, you keep getting rid of this movie, but you obviously like it somewhat. And he... Uh, so why did he get rid of it, though? Cause he, Did he think he, he was inviting demons? Something like that. Uh, he thought it was like an evil movie, but there was something about it that attracted to him, attracted it to him. But uh, he, so my parents are divorced and I would go to his house on weekends uh, up till high school. So I was about 18 at the time. And I, one night, it was like some Saturday night when I was there, he went to bed I went over to his DVD collection. I grabbed it out. It was the version you'd never seen. Mm-hmm. I watched it, and yeah, I I was terrified by it, but I also loved it. Mm. And I I saw more in it than I think he did, because what I love about it, and this really hit me after reading the book. Because after after watching the movie, I loved the movie. Then I was like, I'm gonna I gotta read the book. I want to know more. So I read the book. The book is great too. I mean, the book is basically the the same thing. It's the movie, but it's an extended version of it. Right. So there's nothing really different about it, but except for like additional scenes and moments. But uh, what immediately struck me about it was the father Karis character, and yeah, because I was going through a time where I was like, uh, I don't really know what I believe, and I don't know if I want to believe because the world is so ugly and stuff. And then like sure. watching the movie, reading the book and seeing father Karras and like, he's supposed to be this holy guy and he's having those same thoughts and losing his faith. And I was just like, Holy shit. That's me. Like I, I feel exactly what this guy is feeling. Yeah. And that was such a big deal to me. And so, and like, plus there's the fact that, at the end of the movie, it's it. I don't think it's an evil movie because if you listen to what uh, William Peter Blatty and William Freakin said, they they said that you know they made the movie to just to kind of show people that hey, this stuff's real. Mm-hmm. Like this is because it's based on that real the real case in St. Louis, which we'll get into. But uh, they made it in a way to kind of show people that there's ugly things in the world. And I think there, there was a quote from a uh, uh, William Peter Blatty, where he said, if we can convince the world that there's demons in the world, right. That there's demons, then mm-hmm. we can, then there must be angels. 
So that's where he was coming. Because he's a fairly religious guy, too. Yeah. And I think one of the other things is, like, the most effective part about, other than the priests and their struggles with their own faith, but, like, the fact that they took something so pure as a, a small girl. Like, yeah. they, Reagan, as a character, was yeah. this pure thing that became complete evil. And yeah. that's seeing something that can be so good and so innocent being saturated with evil is kind of the world. I mean, that's, that's yeah. kind of the, the, I think that's what they're trying to get Exactly. At. And, and, and <clears throat> like, I love what he was doing as far as uh, wanting to make it sort of this theological thing, but also, uh, I mean, they were putting things in the movie that were uh, like the spider walk or yeah. not the spider walk, but the, the masturbation scene with yeah, the yeah. crucifix and yeah. everything. Like he, William Peter Blatty said that he was trying to think of the most disgusting, terrible thing he yeah, could you think could of. Do. Yeah. And that was what he came up with. Sure. And he was like, not that I like this, but he was like, this is just something that, this is what a demon would do. Right. And, um, but uh, going back to what I was saying, the, the, the version, the first version of the film that I watched was the version you'd never seen. Mm-hmm. And that's the one that, uh, you know, I understand a lot, a lot of purists are going to prefer the theatrical version, but like, it's weird. Cause like I, we rewatched it, uh, like early this season and I was just, I just felt like there was too much missing from it. Yeah. I think like, uh, I think it's like, there's so many scenes in the director's cut that are just so important to it. So there's the scene when they're on the stairs when just a lot of like when they sit at the stairwell, yeah. Why they, this girl makes no sense, right. and he says the point is to make us feel like animal and ugly, yeah, 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 yeah. to make us think that God doesn't love us. And like I'm like that's like that's the whole point of the movie right there. Right. Like that needs to be in there. And I know Friedkin and uh, Blatty kind of fought over that a lot. And right, because you want to simplify it and make it a movie that's mostly visual, not dialogue driven. Yeah, but uh, you know. The main reason I rewatched it again this year was because you had suggested me watching Ninth Configuration. Yeah. And I had also watched Exorcist 3 recently, too. Now, I didn't have a lot of appreciation for Exorcist 3 other than I... And it's mostly because I didn't understand the the dialogue in yeah. it. But now watching the Exorcist, the uncut version, or the... the what was it's Not the director's cut, because... Yeah. What is it called? Did you said version you've ever seen? Version you've ever but, seen. But I mean, there's not a whole lot that's different. Like, but I'm just saying the dialogue that they add to that. Yeah, it continue. It's like you're getting the full. You're getting your full bang for your buck. Yeah, exactly. Because you can appreciate this a giant complex story that was his writing yeah. and his dialogue and, and how you, it can drive. Need, a I story. think. Yeah, yeah, and I think you need that because it, it it adds a lot of heart to the movie. Because not only do you have the the scene where they're on the stairwell, but you also have like one thing I love is when father Marin first arrives mm. to do the exorcism. Yep. And then uh, Chris McNeil offers him a drink and you know, she's like, do you want some brandy in, in that tea or whatever? And, she's, and he's like, the doctor says I shouldn't, but thank God my will is weak. And he takes the brandy and I'm like, that's such like a, a human moment. Yeah. I love, human. I love that. Well, it's humanizing. I mean, especially for you, humanizing yeah. priests. Yeah, it is that like, they they do have doubts. They do they aren't perfect. Yeah, but like you were saying about like uh, how basically he was doubting himself, and it like by the end of the movie, he doesn't doubt anything because he's seen what evil is and he knows how important he is yeah. in this role. Yeah, so it's like it almost completely you know vanquishes vanquishes any doubts he had in his mind yeah. of his own faith. Yeah, and. The third movie, when you see him later on, it's just like, I wish the dialogue... I don't know. I don't like what they ended up doing with him. I, I, I like the third one, but I, I just... I feel like it just kind of ruins the ending of the movie. A little bit. Because it's like, Karis should have a happy ending. He's yeah. He saved her life. But then it's like, oh, he's... His body gets possessed by another demon or a serial killer. <laughs> it's like, oh, man. No. But... I mean, it is a good movie, though. But uh, I mean, there there's so much I like about that about the director's cut. I mean, I could do without like the flashes of Pazuzu in certain scenes, maybe. But uh, but like the other thing I love is before the exorcism when he he's actually getting ready to go into Reagan's bedroom and he says, 
know, what's your daughter's middle name? And she says, Teresa. And he's like, that's, that's a beautiful name. And it pays off because during the exorcism, he says, uh, Reagan, Teresa McNeil, like, and it's like, Oh, that's why he asked for the middle name. And not to mention, it reminds you that this girl is human. This is a person that they're trying to save. It's not just a scary demon girl. It's there. It reminds you. So I don't know. There's so much I love about it, but I I understand people who don't like it as much, but I think they should get the extended cut another chance. If somebody made like a super cut with all the scenes that I feel that are important with the version you've never seen and, but cut out a lot of the hokey shit with Pazuzu. And again, I feel that the spider walk, walk is unnecessary. I, I agree. I agree. Um, if somebody made like a nice fan edit of it, I'd love it. I mean, yeah. you're also talking to the same person who <clears throat> Halloween's probably my favorite horror film. And I, I want the scene where he's in front of the board pleading with them, not Loomis, to let Michael Myers yeah, out. Yeah. And it's just one scene. It was specifically shot for the TV version, but I feel it gives more context to the story. One more thing I want to mention is the other thing I noticed when we were watching the theatrical version, when Chris McNeil is like, it was like right after the first episode, not the first episode, but the the second episode where she like pees in the carpet. Yeah. And she's like, it's like what the doctor said. It's just nerves. And then I was like, wait a minute we didn't see the doctor in this version of the movie. <laughs> and like in the extended version, you see that first doctor's visit. Well, yeah, and do. I think that adds so much to it. Cause like she's in the waiting room and she's like swaying around yeah. and singing to herself. Being and, silly. And it's like that you kind of need that. Cause that's the first sign of possession. Being as, weird. As we'll get to in the story. Are we ready to talk about the St. Louis Exorcist? So, yeah. A lot of people don't know that the Exorcist drew some inspiration from some St. Louis local ties. And Patrick's got tons of information for y'all. I'll be honest. I'll probably take a backseat in most of this, but let's do it. All right. Now we get into the 1949 St. Louis Exorcism. Now this is going to shit itself, right? <laughs> so for a little bit of context, I will say my fears of this movie and my parents' fears of this movie, a lot of that stemmed from them telling me that this was based on a true story and it happened here in St. Louis. So I'm going to get into that. So William Peter Blatty, when he was, before he even wrote the movie, uh, he attended Georgetown University, which oh, that's funny. Quite a bit of the film was shot. Winky dink. And you spent some time. Yeah, there I lived too, in. Didn't you? Yeah, I yeah. lived in Alexandria, Virginia. So yeah, hopping over to Georgetown wasn't a hard thing. Pretty pretty simple uh, little metro ride. Yeah, to go visit Georgetown. So yeah, I didn't take advantage of it as much. I saw the stairs one time. Lots of tourists there. Very touristy. <laughs> Let's be honest. There wasn't a lot of tourists. There's a lot of like, hey man, you got to smoke. Hey man, you got a dollar. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it's just a very touristy spot. But you can get your you can get your picture, and people will clear the way for a sec, so you can get your picture on the stairs. I would assume tons of people at the bottom of the stairs. Oh, laying down. I would like <laughs> yeah. to be there someday. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's cool. But yeah, it's. I don't know. I mean, I when I was living there, I didn't have the appreciation I did. I do now. Right. So uh, William Peter Blatty, he's the writer of The Exorcist, the book and the film. So he attended Georgetown University, and he had a professor who was a Jesuit priest. He had learned about the case in St. Louis from Father Eugene Gallagher, and that was his professor. Uh, Gallagher told Blatty about the case, and Blatty wanted to learn more, and he got to the point where he actually wanted to write a book about the case. So he asked him if he could get in touch with him and anyone involved with the case, uh, eventually Blatty had started his career and working with films and he wrote a, the Pink Panther film, a, a shot in the dark. I think he did. Yep. Shot in the yeah. dark. So first Pink Panther. Yeah. So at the time, so yeah, he was a comedy writer known for that. And, uh, the one connection he had with 
as far as the exorcism case, because he kept going back to that and he was interested in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got in touch with Eugene Gallagher again and he asked him if he had any connections to the case. And the one connection he did have was with Father William S. Bowdern. Okay. William Bowdern was the priest who was the acting exorcist in the St. Louis exorcism. Wow. So uh, Gallagher, he was reluctant to get Blatty in touch with Bowdern because Blatty was a comedy writer and he, and and Gallagher was worried that Blatty wouldn't take it seriously, that he was going to make it a joke or something. Yeah, I was about to say, did, <laughs> did, did, did he have – was he religious at all? Blatty was. Oh, yeah. Blatty. Okay. Well, I'm just asking because, I mean, you're saying like, oh, he's going to make a joke of it. But would he? I mean, he's a, if he's a religious man, he probably would. Well, I, I mean, don't think a lot of people knew like he – I mean, the only basis that everybody knew him from was really the Pink Panther yeah, because it was, I get, such I a, yeah. it was such a phenomenon. So right? it's almost like they're like, is he capable of writing something serious? This right. seems like a very serious topic. Exactly. I'm okay. trying to think of like other comedic writers who were successful – like, I mean, I think, personally, I think Red State is oh, yeah, a yeah. really great horror film. Yeah. And like Kevin that. Smith wrote and directed that. Yeah. After that, I know he did some horror, but I really think it's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> but that's my own person. Murder Party versus... Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. That's Green the room. other thing. Yeah. I, I, you could do that, or Blue Ruin, you know, yeah. like, oh, I saw that dude's movie Murder Party. How's he going to do a right. revenge film, yeah. right? Yeah. It's it's the same token, I guess, but it, as, you know, Blatty's, he's Catholic, right? Like, he's hardcore yeah, Catholic. Yeah, he's, so even before he died, when they, uh, I mean, there was some anniversary for The Exorcist, and he was actually on EW10, which is this Catholic channel. Mm-hmm. That was the time when I was watching that interview with Blatty and Freakin. They were both being interviewed on that Catholic channel, and you thought I was actually talking to somebody. Oh, yeah, balls. that's right. <laughs> I thought you were so, getting, like, audio clips yeah, for the show. which would have been great, but... So eventually, oh, well. I assume he got contact with... Yeah, so uh, he, he got contact. I mean, Gallagher was reluctant to get Blatty involved in... At first, because he was a comedy writer, he was worried he wasn't going to take it seriously. But Blatty assured him that he'd be taking it seriously, and he was able to correspond with Father Bowdern through uh, mail. Uh, Blatty's main reason for wanting to contact Bowdern was because at the time, you couldn't really get in touch with anybody involved with exorcism cases because they were so few and far between. They, Like they say in the movie, they kind of... The church sweeps it under the rug. Yeah, it's a hush hush topic. They're you don't want to yeah. embarrassed about it, and sure. that's why the investigation process is so thorough. They yeah. don't really get involved with demonic possession unless they rule out all of the medical right. stuff first. And I think mm-hmm. most possession movies talk about the fact that it's very difficult to prove an exorcism, like to mm-hmm. to prove to get an exorcism yeah. to happen. Well, yeah. it's also kind of difficult to prove that an actual possession is happening. Well, yeah, exactly. but I'm saying like it's just it's yeah. it's a process. So. Right. So uh Bowdern actually finally wrote back to Blatty and he said as you stated in your letter, it's very difficult to find any authentic literature in cases of possession. At least I could not find any when I was involved in such a case. Accordingly, we kept a minute account each day of the happenings, our diary would be most helpful to anyone placed in a similar position as an exorcist. My own thoughts were that much good might come of the case had been reported and people had come to realize the presence and the activity of the devil is something very real. It's terrifying. <laughs> so he's referring to the diaries written by his accomplice, Father Raymond Bishop, who I'll mention later. Uh, Bishop's diaries are the primary source of information on the occurrences of the 1949 exorcism. Now we get into the case of Roland Doe. In 1949, a young boy famously referred to as Roland Doe inhibited signs of possession. And depending on who you get your information from, it could be Ronald Doe, Roland Doe. But they kept it all confidential, so... Robbie Mannheim. That was Robbie the other... Mannheim. That was That's another, another name. Yeah. But it, if you go on the internet, you can find his name. It's not hard. Not that I encourage you to do so, but he is pretty old. How's he doing? Did <laughs> you check his Facebook out? Wait, why would you not encourage it? Well, the wishes of the Catholic Church. <laughs> so, in 1949, 
Roland Doe. Roland, Roland Doe? Is that his name? Roland Doe? <laughs> That's not his real name. Oh, okay. That's the name they gave him. But so this started in uh, Maryland. Um, the boy's aunt, he uh, was a St. Louis native. She'd visit often, spending a lot of time with her nephew, Roland Dole. She was interested in spiritualism and the occult and Ouija boards. And she got him interested in the subject. And after her passing, he attempted to contact her, after which the family began experiencing strange phenomena. Hold on, guys. Let me go get my Ouija board. No. Get the Ouija board. Don't do it. Remember the last time when you were like, no. I don't like Ouija boards. <laughs> then the strange phenomena started. First it was the dripping sounds. Then it was sounds in the attic. And then it was scratching under the grandmother's bed, which they assumed to be rats. The floorboards were ripped apart without any signs of rodents. Every night at 7 p.m. until after midnight... The sounds would continue, and eventually the sounds reached the young boy's room. This time, he heard footsteps walking towards his room, and eventually in it. One night, they felt what could only be described as something trying to claw its way out of the bed, eventually making the bed shake erratically. By this point, things got even worse. Furniture would violently move across the room. The boy would begin acting unlike himself, shouting obscenities and becoming unhinged. One night, the boy's parents and grandmother heard loud screams coming from the boy's bedroom. They rushed to help, and when they got in the room, furniture began to fly around, and a huge dresser slid across the floor, blocking their exit, kind of like in the movie. The drawers of the dresser began to rapidly close and shut, and after a minute, it stopped. He was eventually examined by a physician, a psychiatrist, and a psychologist who could not determine what was wrong. It's like The Conjuring 2. Yeah. <laughs> it reminds me a lot of that. Uh... So the family was of Lutheran faith, and they actually sought out their uh, parish minister. His name was Father Luther Schultz, and Schultz is actually the guy who ended up leaking out much of the information about the exorcism because hmm. they had this vow of conf confidentiality, and you know they didn't want to get well, the boy's name out. They didn't want to get right. an, any information out. But and I was talking to you about that earlier because yeah. I went to a Lutheran high school, and one of my the pastors who was also like a counselor studied at Concordia and it's mm -hmm. like known that there's like this journal about this case yeah. at Concordia yeah. that you can just go and just look at. You can't take it home but you can look at it. I'd love to look at it. I think I, I don't want to take it home. <laughs> uh, so Schultz, the Lutheran minister, he visited the home and it was at this point that the boy began to speak in languages he'd never studied. Uh, Roland shouted in Hebrew in the ancient language of Aramaic and at a loss of what to do, Schultz was quoted as saying, you have to see a Catholic priest because yeah, Lutheran, Lutherists we, don't. We Luther, don't do that. Lutherists? Is that what I said? Luther, Lutherans. Lutherans. <laughs> Lutherans don't necessarily believe in exorcism. Yeah. He suggested they seek out a Catholic priest because he did not know what to do. But he was also very interested in the subject, and that's why a lot of the information got out because he, he loved to talk about it after the fact. So then we had the failed Maryland exorcism. Father Hughes, he was the Catholic church at Georgetown who they sought out. And uh, he was a young priest. He met with the boy and he saw the signs right away. Uh, he began speaking languages he didn't know, uh, including fluent Latin. This was proof enough for Hughes and he sought approval to perform an exorcism and admitted the boy to a Catholic hospital at Georgetown University. He prematurely began an exorcism and he was injured in the process after being slashed by a bed spring, suffered a nervous breakdown, and knew he couldn't perform it again. Writing appeared on the boy's chest, much like in the film, except in the actual case. Uh, in the movie, it says, help me. But in, in the actual case, it said, Lewis. Oh. So the family put two and two together, and they realized... Our family comes from St. Louis, so maybe we should go to St. Louis and see if we can get help there. So they had relatives in St. Louis, uh, and that was where the boy's aunt came from. And for a while, they attributed the activity to the aunt because they thought it was the aunt who was causing it. But what? That's what they thought at like first. Like they thought that uh, yeah, the aunt was possessing the, him? Yeah, because the, the mom would come in the bedroom and she'd say, 
if it's you, uh, knock three times, things like that. And she was convinced that it was the Antifirst, but demons lie, man. They do lie. So the family packed up and left for St. Louis to stay at a relative's house on Roanoke Street in the neighborhood of Belnor in St. Louis, which you can still visit. The house is still there. No co. No co, baby. It's very creepy. It's very, uh, I think there's a Cthulhu door knocker. What? So even as the family stayed in St. Louis, the phenomena continued and the bed would shake in the new room of the house where the boy was staying. Scratches would appear all over his body and he had a cousin who was attending St. Louis University who knew several of the priests that were there. And there they were a lot of Jesuits, a lot of Jesuit priests. Uh, St. Uh, uh, Alexian Brothers was known for having a lot of Jesuit Catholic priests. It was a and Catholic hospital, wasn't it? Was it was a Catholic hospital. Yeah, so yeah, it's, yeah, they're yeah. all over the place. Yeah, yeah. So they met... So the cousin recommended that they speak with Father Raymond Bishop, so he was the first person who was actually involved in the St. Louis case. Um, and Father Halloran, he was an academic Jesuit who was a little skeptical of the situation, So, but they visited the house. They stayed overnight. They heard the mattress shake... Uh, rushing to his room and seeing the bed shake, that was one of the things that really shook them. No pun intended. Uh, scratches appeared on the boy's chest again, but this time it didn't look like writing. It looked like something to, trying to claw its way out. Bishop knew he wasn't prepared to handle this himself, so Bishop informed his friend, Father William S. Bowdern, a middle-aged Jesuit who was a parishioner at St. Louis University's St. Francis Xavier Catholic Church which is also still standing today. Now, Jesuits are known for their progressive-leaning views, a little more deeply rooted in philosophy and rationalism. They take everything like this with a grain of salt. Absolutely, they do. Uh, preferring not to get involved in this sort of thing until psychiatric help is ruled out. So, Bowdern visited, and he was convinced it was genuine. So, that was a big deal. Bowdern sought approval from the archbishop, and he was granted it on the condition that the case was confidential. And, of course, the vow of silence was broken by the Lutheran minister. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. So Bader was prepared with a Roman ritual, which is basically a compendium for rituals in the Catholic Church. It goes way back to early Catholicism, containing burial rites, uh, baptismal rites, and the exorcism ritual. The archbishop is required to select someone of proven virtue— Uh, According to the ritual, the exact wording is that the priest must be properly distinguished for his piety, prudence, and integrity of life, which is why Bowdern was considered a strong fit. And mostly for their own safety. Yeah. Because the idea is that if you have anything you're bringing to the table, it's going to flip it right back at you. Right. I find it interesting because if you watch a lot of possession films, this is all local boys. Yeah. This is slew, slew and, and the surrounding area boys, you know. St. Louis University is one of our largest universities. Yes, here it is, Louis. yeah. And, and it, we're a huge Catholic population in St. Louis as well. Most of most kids I know went to a Catholic school. I there's did a, too. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's what I'm saying. So I think it's interesting that they didn't actually go outsource to a larger, like, New York or Chicago or even from Rome. I mean, like some of the movies you've seen, like they'll bring a Roman priest in. It's like, yeah. that's, Oh, we got to get the, we got to get the real dogs, the big dogs out. Yeah. And I, big dog uh, priests. So Bowdern, he was just considered a good guy. A lot of people, at, well-respected. A lot of people, uh, a lot of people at the college looked up to him. People really loved him. So they knew he was somebody who would be strong enough to carry out this exorcism. Mm-hmm. And um, so another part of the uh, ritual, or at least one of the uh, guidelines for the ritual for a priest who's going to conduct an exorcism is he should not believe too readily that a person is possessed by an evil spirit. All medical means of treatment must be exhausted before any exorcism is approved. So that's one thing I like about Jesuits is that they... Science does come first. Science does exist. And so, so but, but I mean, they, they want to make sure that anything on the medical side is sure. actually ruled out before I mean, they actually. Let's be honest. You probably think of all the possessions from pre the 1900s. Yeah. You're looking at a lot of mental health cases that were unseen and just not dealt yeah. with properly. Yeah. So, I mean, 
I, I think, you know, lobotomies existed for a reason because yeah. people just didn't want to deal with people because they'd yeah. be like, oh, well, yeah, just. And you, you see a lot of that in the movie, too, because right. Father Karras, he's he's a psychiatrist. Correct. He's yeah. very, you know, she doesn't need an exorcism. She needs psychiatric help. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, Father Bowdern began the exorcism, and with the most powerful prayers in the Roman ritual, he demanded that the demon be cast out. But Roland replied in a terrifying voice that he would not leave until one word was pronounced, and during one of the many nights of the exorcism, the word hell appeared on his chest. So there comes a part in the exorcism ritual where you have to ask the demon its name and command it to tell you when it is going to leave. The letter X showed up on his chest, like the Roman numeral for 10. So they they assumed it either meant there's 10 demons inside of him. Like Legion. Like Legion. Or he's going to leave in 10 days. So the exorcism actually lasted for 10 days. <gasps> no. <laughs> but, Oh my god! You get to the point where he actually my nipples says, just got weird. <laughs> I think they went inside hard, like hard, but on inverted? the inside, yeah, yeah, inverted nipples, like across. So yeah. you, you get to the point where he actually says, oh. "I cast you out, unclean spirit." So the boy grew quiet and began to sing. The boy was fully possessed by this point, and he would curse at the priest, recoil at any religious object, spit and emit foul odors. Items would continue to levitate throughout the room. The bed would shake and levitate. The boy would urinate and mime masturbation and laugh diabolically. At this point, Bowdern considered the possibility that the ten could mean 10 days yeah but he didn't think he had it in him to actually continue because when you see an exorcism in a movie it's usually one night it's not no it's forever you know i'm sure it's a long process it's a long process so he didn't think he had it in him to do it for nine more days how old was he do you know uh, i believe he was later he was in his 50s oh so he's later in life that's why so yeah i mean that that's the other thing is like uh karis in the movie he was based on bowdern so uh, the exorcism was carried out across three different locations in St. Louis. So it started at the house on Roanoke Street, moved to the rectory at St. Francis Xavier Church, and finally Alexian Brothers Hospital, now renamed St. Alexius Hospital, which is where the exorcism concluded. So in another incident, a pitchfork-shaped pattern of red lines moved from the boy's thigh and snaked down towards his ankle. These types of things happened every night for more than a month, and everyone witnessing the events believed that Roland was possessed by ten demons. The attending priests called on St. Michael to expel Satan from Roland's body. After a booming voice identifying itself as St. Michael ordered the demon to leave in the name of Dominus, as they commanded the demon to actually tell them when they were going to leave, this was after the point where the 10 appeared on his chest. Mm-hmm. The demon actually replied at one point and said, I'm not going to leave until one word is pronounced. And the boy will never say it. You will never say it. Is Nobody, it his name? Nobody's going to know what this word is. It's just a random word or is it Just a name? random word. There's a quote here from uh, Bishop... March 18th, 1949, as the priest prayed, Bishop wrote, the prayers of the exorcism were continued and Roland was seized violently. So he began to struggle with his pillow and the bed clothing. The arms, legs, and head of Roland had to be held by three men. The contortions revealed physical strength beyond natural power. Roland spit at the faces of those who held him and at those who prayed over him. He spit at the relics in the priest's hands. He writhed under the sprinkling of holy water. He fought and screamed in a diabolical, high-pitched voice. During one evening session, Bishop reported that a picture of the devil appeared on the boy's leg. On another, the word hell manifested on his chest. The boy punched Halloran in the face, breaking his nose, and resisted the right through cursing speaking in tongues and by other physical means. So at this point, the process moved from Bell Norhouse to other locations in St. Louis. Uh, there was one incident that happened at the, uh, 
at the rectory, and this was outside of uh, St. Francis Xavier Catholic Church. Uh, I don't think the rectory, I don't know if the rectory actually exists anymore, but you can see the grounds yeah. where it used to stand anyway. Uh, but changing the bo- changing the locations to now alleviate the boys' torment while practicing the stations of the cross outdoors at the retreat center. So out so at, at one of these at a rectory like a priest rectory. I don't know if you've seen one before, but they usually have the building where there's actually they actually go inside and pray. But yeah. there's also the retreat center, and it's, and it's basically like a a field of land where mm-hmm. you know. Like in the movie, you'd see Father Marin like praying outside Just when he's walking, hanging out. The letter, you know. Yeah. Uh, but uh, while making the Stations of the Cross outdoors, and that's one of the prayer, one of the Catholic prayers that you do, much like a rosary or anything like that. Sure. Uh, Robbie was with them; they were praying around him. When you say Robbie, I'm sorry. Roland. Roland, Roland was with them. They were praying around him. Call him whatever you want. Roland attempted to jump off a high bluff overlooking the Mississippi River. Holler managed to tackle him before the boy jumped off the cliff. Huh? According to Bishop's diary, the exorcist then demanded to know the name of the demon possessing Robbie. The Jesuit demanded the demon leave the boy in peace. They got back, and, and eventually, by this point, they actually started the exorcism at the hospital because they realized at this point he was getting very, very worse because there's the three stages of demonic possession. Infestation, which is usually when it starts with the sounds and everything. Mm -hmm. Oppression. Mm -hmm. And that's when the violence begins and maybe speaking in tongues and then possession. So at this point, he was at full possession stage. He was brought to Alexian Brothers Hospital. Lasted for 10 days. According to Bishop's diary, the exorcist then demanded to know the name of the demon possessing Robbie. The Jesuit demanded the demon lead the boy in peace. The fit continued. According to Bishop, the demon mocked Bowdern, saying, He has to say one word, one little word. I mean, one big word. He'll never say it. I am always in him. I may not have much power always, but I am in him. He will never say that word. On the final night of the exorcism, shortly before midnight, the priest heard a different male voice coming from Roland. Bishop's diary noted. Satan! Satan! I am Saint Michael! I command you, Satan, and the other evil spirits to leave the body in the name of Dominius! Immediately! Now! 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 Moments later, Roland woke up. The boy told the priests, he's gone telling them that he had a dream that St. Michael the Archangel had battled the devil and demons to free him. Other reports claimed a loud noise like a gunshot sounded and could be heard coming from the part of the hospital where Roland was staying. He was sent home with his family, having completely forgotten about the events. He still doesn't speak of it to this day. Uh, before we kind of get into our final thoughts, a few other things I did want to mention was uh, Blatty, the author of the book, he said he was able to track down a uh, doctor of the hospital who he interviewed during his research who reportedly said he witnessed a hospital bed table levitate slowly to the ceiling. And Blatty asked if that had convinced him. The doctor said, well, there's so much about le- electromagnetism that we don't know. And this was one of the things that Blatty had mentioned where he was like, it's crazy how your own personal biases can convince you that even though you're seeing something, maybe there's, it's not, but magnets, but magnets. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Uh, but, uh, uh, Halloran was interviewed later. He was the one who helped with the diary. 
Uh, he was asked if he believes the encounter was genuine. He recalled the conversation he had with Father Bowdern when he asked what Bowdern thought of the official report by the Catholic Church because they did send some investigators out. Uh, he replied, Bowdern replied, what does it matter what the, examiner, what the examiner thinks? Whether he said it was true or false, people are going to agree or disagree. You and I know it. We were there. Hmm. <laughs> do we believe it? Do we? What believe do, it? What do we think? Are we- I, you know, I made the mistake of prior to this, like just giving myself a brief synopsis, and in doing so, it also gave me a synopsis of like how to like de, you know, make yeah. this, you know, what were the issues with this, and a lot of the things were actually like knowing this boy. And that he was a very rambunctious child who caused a lot of pranks in I, his neighborhood. I've heard that too. Yeah. He's a prankster who liked to make pranks on his neighbors, and he thought it was very funny, and that's why his aunt and him got into the spiritual thing. And it, like, there's a lot of things leading up to this that make it. It, it would make a child want to be make. I feel like he would have every intention of faking this, but what if in the purpose of faking this he ended up being possessed that's where i think i'm at i think that technically he could have just faked it and by doing such and by being disrespectful about said faking of an exorcism it could have invited demons into it well yeah it's it's kind of like that old saying when you mock religion or mock faith oh yeah it can come up with a bite yeah especially if you're in the process of doing all of the things that would invite somebody into you yeah so i think am i convinced i mean i know it happened it's real it's probably the realest thing that has happened in in that terms of an exorcism that i know of yeah so there you go it did happen andy yeah, I mean, I, I feel, I, I don't know. I, I, I See, I'm not a very religious guy, and that's part of the reason why the movie never really worked on, on me as, as heavily as it does a lot of people. Um, do I believe that a boy was possessed? It's possible. Um, well, but- do you believe in ghosts? Uh, I believe in energy. See, I think I think you don't have a. I mean, I think the the reason me and Patrick are scared of ghosts, demons, things like that is because we have this unnatural like we've been taught to feel these things about these things. Yeah. So you were not taught to feel those things. So I I feel like you get you appreciate it, but you're like, yeah, it doesn't like. I don't necessarily believe that this is actually going to happen to me. I believe in spiritual energy. And remnants of spiritual energy, like like the limp stuff that we talked about, um, you know, in the last episode, I believe that enough violence in a particular household or residence can resonate for years to come. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I've I, I kind of believe those are just that's trauma on a building. Um, as far as ghosts, I do somewhat believe in spirits, but. Uh, yeah, that's when you start to stretch it for me. And as much as you know, especially with my mother's passing last year, yes, a lot of people said, "Oh, she's always with you." And I, I like to think that sometimes she's with me, but I don't know if I necessarily believe it sometimes. Right. So it's tough because, um, I also believe more in the power of the mind, more so uh, as as far as like. If this boy believed he was possessed, it's possible that he could have done physical things outside of what he was physically possible of doing. Yeah, that, that was one of the other things is like somebody had also seen while he was in Maryland, him actually scratch himself with his own fingernails. So like he got caught scratching himself. So mm-hmm. like which probably is how a lot of the scratches did come up was him just being like crazy and yeah. moving around. Right. I don't know. But you also so this is where I am. I I I I know what you're saying. But I I, I, I want to believe that they are these are grown men who have nothing. They would not want to see you know make yeah. up something like yeah. this. But then you're not the doctor sure. at the hospital who saw him levitate and said, "Oh, it's just electromagnetism." Like, we don't understand. Yeah, I don't know if I buy that. Don't want to believe and like that. I'm just like, 
I don't know. If I saw something happen, I wouldn't just be like, "Oh, yeah, it's got to be." I think you know. I think it's healthy to have skepticism. It it, re- it totally always is. for it sure totally is. Um, you know, I I even when I was talking about the lump stuff on the last episode, I am very much a skeptic and went to go prove certain things that I saw happen there wrong, and yeah. sometimes I couldn't come up with a definitive conclusion. Yeah. And I feel that, like, if you can't come up with a definitive conclusion or something, it, it might take a little while to come up with something. You might not have the answer right away, but I feel that there are, with this case, it, it's tricky because you have so many witnesses to it that, yeah, yeah, there's I don't a, know. at least a dozen people. And I mean, it's one of those things that, like, anytime you ever see an exorcist, like, type movie or just anything with possession it's never anyone who doesn't believe in anything yeah you have to believe it or at least have an understanding of it mm-hmm. for it to even affect you so it's like that's what i'm that's... saying like with like him mocking it but also like knowing that it exists and being raised in that which is weird because he's lutheran well so no it's one of those I, I don't think like... they i don't think they that's the thing though they didn't they didn't know about exorcisms yeah it was their ministry. No, 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 but I meant like possession. Like the fact that he was like, you know, if he pretended, oh, I got a demon in me. Oh, no. I, I think at first it was probably, oh, my aunt's talking to me and she's in my head. Maybe. Like scaring his family. Yeah. And then by doing that, but then, he was but, accepting but it, but an it, aunt, but wasn't an aunt. There's a part that I forgot <laughs> to mention, though, and yeah. that was that he there was a voice that came from the boy and it said he must be right. ba- baptized as a Catholic to but, save him. Oh, really? And okay. that's the part that makes you think like, that's, I don't, I don't see some 12 year old boy. That's wild. Wanting to be like, turn me into a Catholic oh, to the, save me. The you other know thing people mean? got on like, was, uh, he would, cause he would speak Latin, Yeah, but they were saying all he was doing was repeating the Latin that was, so that, that him. was, that was the other priest who yeah. was involved? Yeah, and that and it was the one who helped Bowder. I think it was Bishop who said that. He was interviewed years later, saying like, "Well, like he was the priest." The interviewer was like, "You know, so he was really speaking Latin. You right. think he was possessed?" And he was like, "Well, I don't know. He was probably just repeating what we said." Yeah, no. I don't know. And he no, was, I get it's that. Like funny how he like suddenly turned around. and was like maybe not, and like. I get but, it. but Bowdern went to his death saying, no, it's, it's real. It, it that's, happened. Well, I mean, and, and that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I think it happened. I do. But too. I don't think that we fully understand the process at all. I don't think we do either. <laughs> so but, but, think, but, like, I, I. Like, did the priest actually do anything or did the, was the demon just going to leave anyways? Well, I mean, they were on. I wish I had the ritual. Day, day 10? So I could read day 10? It, it was on day 10. But like, you know how you said, like, basically it was like a voice out of nowhere came out of him? Yeah. And everybody, like, and everybody heard the voice. But did that mean that necessarily the voice would have come no matter what? Because the demon had already said by 10 days, I'm leaving. We'll never know. We will never know. But the most common explanation among skeptics is mental illness or that the whole thing was faked. But we have at least a dozen witnesses, people with no reason to lie. And... You know, he went on to live a pretty ordinary life. He ended up working for NASA. Yeah. What? Yeah. Oh, you mean those shirts that they didn't do twenty year olds? Yeah. No, they didn't. Wait, they didn't do a background check. Oh, you were crazy possessed for a couple years. (laughs) No, it's cool. You're good. Here's my thing, though. Like when people say, when people say, like, oh, it was clearly mental illness. No, he. No. Woke up the next day and lived a normal life. Yeah, no, I don't and think it was mental illness. Mental illness doesn't just go away. Yeah, like, and there wasn't you're, any... You're stuck Prior to that, there wasn't any thought of that. I didn't yeah. read anywhere where it talked about that. It just talked about him being actually smarter than most yeah. people and being a goofball. Yeah, and so, now he he doesn't remember. How anything. old was he when this first started? He was 12. Damn. I believe. They always make him out to be older, too. That's yeah. the thing I realized. They're like, yeah, he was a, he was an, a, a teenage man. <laughs> like, yeah, that's how he broke the nose and like stabbed the dude with the bed spring and all that stuff. Like, he was actually bigger than what people yeah. say. And I'm like, well, if he's 12, I don't know how big you were when you were 12. Yeah, and that there was a quote from uh, Hollerin. He was the one who said that, uh, you know, maybe he was he was just repeating us as far as the Latin stuff goes. But uh, he was quoted as saying, I, "I wouldn't be able to say whether it was valid or not." 
I've withheld judgment. I'm I'm not saying Father Bowden's wrong. I'm just more comfortable not coming to a decision. So it almost sounds like he was scared to <laughs> believe in it or something. I mean, it's one of those things you probably yeah. want to forget about. Yeah. Uh, there, there was a letter from uh, Bowdern to William Peter Blatty, and he wrote, I can assure you of one thing. The case in which I was involved was the real thing. I had no doubt about it then, and I have no doubt about it now. Uh, and I do want to recommend, if you want a really great comprehensive look at the events, uh, Troy Walker's book, The Devil Came to St. Louis. Troy Taylor. Troy Taylor. I'm sorry. Troy Taylor's book, Devil Came to St. Louis. Uh Every year when it gets closer to St. Louis, I kind of take a pilgrimage to several locations where the events happened. Uh, like I said, we, you can go to the exorcism house, the exorcist house in, on Roanoke street, and you can still visit uh, St. Francis Xavier church. You can see, uh, actually you can, one thing I did want to mention was you can go to uh Calvary cemetery yeah. and you can see, the grave of father Bowdern. Oh, wow. And this was a very, this is a really weird thing, but, um, I think I told you about this before Niles, but, uh, so I've always had this connection with the father Karras character mm, and yes. learning about fa- father Bowdern and like, Oh, this guy was based. This is who father Karras is based on. And my dad, a couple years ago was getting really interested interested in this ancestry thing. So he's looking at um, the family tree and I'm over at his house one day. And no. he's, like, he's like, you're not going to believe this. And he takes me over to his computer and he shows me the family tree and it's uh, on the king side. That's like, that's my grandma's side of the family over there. And one of her great grandparents was married to a sibling of Father Bowder. No. So I was like, oh my God, okay, maybe it's, sure, it's just through marriage, but I'm almost get on your family robes. with this Get on guy. your robes right <laughs> yeah. now. We know you're here, Pastor So Rick. I was like, that is so fucking Pastor cool. Rick. That's so cool. So yeah, that meant a lot to me. I was like, I'm even closer to this movie That's now. crazy, man. So yeah, then uh, a couple months ago, I was with my sister. We went to Calvary and we found his, his tombstone and- I put my hand on it and I was like, Hey, <laughs> but yeah, um, hey, pretty cool, man. I was, it was one of those things that kind of sends a chill up your spine when you learn about it. It's like, Oh man. Uh, so, uh, one other thing I did want to mention my friend Todd, he submitted the story. He is, uh, he's friends with the owner of the house the, on, Roanoke, on Roanoke street. Yeah, that's cool. And, this guy would hold a lot of Halloween parties. Todd would go to several of those. He was there for something else one night. Uh, he uh, he was there for a different occasion. The owner showed him something that chilled him to the bone. So I asked Todd to send me the story, and here's what it reads in Todd's words. The first time I went to the exorcist house, my friend, the owner told me that the scariest thing about the house isn't what's upstairs, but what's in the basement. I followed him downstairs from the kitchen. The walls of the basement had gray parts of it painted a sandy, pale yellow. The ground felt unfinished. We walked the opposite direction of the bottom of the stairs to the back wall corner where he removed a panel. Behind it, he revealed old crayon drawings from the boy who lived in the house. In the very corner of the wall were hard-pressed black crayon scribbles of different letters of the alphabet. That was freaky to me. To the right of that was a crayon picture of a house with a sun above and a walkway going up to the house. And in the foreground, with its back to the viewer, is a red devil walking up the walkway. The picture to the right of that is a crayon picture of a boy and on his shoulder is the red devil. And below it in crayon, it says, Harold. I looked up the meaning. It's spelled differently. It's spelled differently, but Harold is the Old Norse form of the given name Harold. It's made up of the elements hair, army host, and ald, leader, ruler, power. 
So, but then, of course, the actual English word herald is an official messenger bringing news or a person or thing viewed as a sign that something is about to happen. Kind of spooky. I recommend at least driving by the house if you can. Uh, we walked down the, down the sidewalk and it was a nice fall day. The leaves were blowing. We took a picture outside. Uh, I'm sure they're used to that. I mean, they've had like Destination America there for a live exorcism once. I don't know if you guys remember that a couple of years ago. Oh, I remember yeah. Joshua Gates. And it was like it, nothing happened. <laughs> right. Because that was, that was live, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. It, it was kind of silly. but It was kind of silly, but it was also kind of interesting was, because, you know. Because it was like, oh, St. Louis is the national spotlight up for a horror thing. Right. You know. Did you want to give the address or just reference people to your yeah. article about t- top 10 things to I, do in Halloween? Yeah. Well, we'll have the, I mean, you can see it on the article, but we're also putting You're also putting out another the article. The Exorcist article. Yeah. Which gets a little bit deeper and a little bit more into my thoughts about the movie. And by the time you hear this, it will be out on the site right now and yeah. we'll put a link in the show notes. But uh, some final thoughts. Exorcist, my favorite horror film. I think it's <laughs> it's in the what the thing I love about it is the sincerity that freaking brings to it. Uh, that was one thing I forgot to mention was one of the reasons that Vladdy sought out Freakin to actually direct the movie was because Freakin was an agnostic and he thought it would come hmm. from a more realistic place if an agnostic directed the movie, but it was written by a believer. Mm. So that's why the movie, in my opinion, that's why the movie feels so real because it's you're, it's not really taking a side until the end when, of course, you realize things are actually well, happening. I mean, I mean, but, you look at it like this. Your agnostic is trying to prove to other agnostics that this this movie's. Let's break that wall. This is real. And that's the thing. And, and he and, needs to figure out how to do that to himself. And now and in the process of doing that. And now freaking believes it's real. That's exactly. the thing. That's a, what's interesting I think that's it. that's true. I mean, you can't make a movie like that, especially as successful as it was in making you believe in this. Yeah. Without having take away something from that yeah yeah but i mean you know it's funny because you like look at this it's got so much depth to it you can't it's not like 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 we were just talking about halloween like you can't like so halloween was originated from this right right. (laughs) well it's not based in truth no that's what i'm saying there's not a lot that is so it's it's nice to have something that you can get you can really just dip your toes in and just get really into it but what i've always liked about halloween is that it kind of dips into the unknown. Nobody knows why Michael Myers sure. does. Sure, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, if I if I had to say, like, the holy trinity of horror films, it's The Exorcist, The Shining, Halloween. Yeah, I, I can't argue with you. <laughs> <laughs> As I look at the six or seven copies of Halloween that I have. <laughs> uh, say your prayers, guys. Yeah, <laughs> say, say your prayers. But technically, that doesn't work. Hey, uh, don't forget, Halloween's a, it's kind of a Catholic holiday. I mean, All Saints Day is the next day. <laughs> it's All Hallows Eve. Based on <laughs> Sort of, but based, it's based based off, off of a, a Celtic holiday. Yeah, it's based off a pagan religion. But the Catholics stole everything from the pagans. No, I know yeah. they did. So it's okay. Yeah, so it's okay. They, they, <laughs> the, the, the Catholics took all the evil things and made them holy. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Over the dead bodies. Yeah. All Saints Day. But, I mean, it, it's based in, like, Celtic paganism. <laughs> but what they... No, he's... he's Patrick's right in what he said. Because what they did is they took every pagan but, holiday and right. relabeled it. Wasn't it, like, in the early 9th century it's, it's or like, something like that? Yeah, I mean, any anybody who's ever taken Tenth over century? anything, the first know. thing you do is delete everything that existed prior. You right. tear down the statues, you scrape the names off the walls, and the, you re- relabel all the holidays. The All Saints Day celebration was called All Hallows, or All Hallowmas, the night before it, the traditional night of Samhain and the Celtic religion. Mm. But the term... All Hallows is from All Saints Day. You're welcome. You're welcome. Non-Catholics. Yeah, well, that's that's me. <laughs> okay. Well, 
Say your prayers. Now I'm a heathen. Say your St. Michael prayer. Yeah, do you guys want me to shout again? Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> Niles, where can people find you? Well, is there any other closing thoughts or we're done? I mean, I'm going to have nightmares. I don't know what to tell people. Okay. I'm scared right now. Well, where, where can people <laughs> cuddle you? Um, you can cuddle me at <laughs> Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Niles Maddox, N-I-L-E-S-M-A-T-T-O-X-22. Patrick. Or Pastor Rick. Do we call him Pastor Rick now? Um, Father Rick? <laughs> um, Twitter. Max Rebo Rules. Instagram. Vatican Skywalker. Letterboxed. Cup of Joe 07. Cup of Joe! You can find me at Treefy, T-R-I-E-F-Y, on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Yes, I'm one of the very few that have one name for everything. I have one name for everything. No, I know. <laughs> I said this one guy, of the few. This guy I, makes his life hard. He's I do, like, but, but then I'm like, if I change it now, nobody's going to be able to find me. <laughs> Because all my friends on the other <laughs> oh sites are going to get lost. They're going to get confused. They're going to be like, you're not Max Rubo Rules. Just anymore. change your name to Father. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can find us as a collective on Instagram, Twitter, at Facebook. or bleh. You can find us as a collective on Twitter and Instagram at Destroy the Brain and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Destroy the Brain. And join our exclusive group for the podcast at facebook.com slash group slash DTB is this podcast. our is this our last episode before Halloween? This is our last episode. This is coming out Halloween Eve. Uh, all together. Night. All together now. Happy yep. Halloween. <laughs> Worst not <laughs> I'm not reading that. Are you crazy? <laughs> no, it's a holy person. You it's can scary. Say it. Give me one second. I'm never going to sleep. <laughs> <laughs>